welcome to the Nerd Party. Hello and welcome to Great Shot Kid, the podcast on the Nerd Party Network that examines the work of Star Wars creators. I'm one of your hosts, John. And I'm Mike. And this week we are going to be coming at you with a uh, a review, uh, a revisiting of the 1989 comedy classic starring Tom Hanks and Carrie Fisher, The Burbs, yeah. directed by Joe Dante. Uh, he who gave us Gremlins, as a matter of fact, earlier in the 80s. And uh, it was released by Imagine Entertainment and was a very, uh, I mean, it, it was a very high profile comedy at the time. I remember seeing it in the movie theater. I remember that the marketing campaign leading up to it. It was of the time for those who are in the audience who might be a little bit younger when Tom Hanks was known exclusively for comedy. Tom Hanks had not yet made the gear shift into dramatic films and so with that you know looming in his future unknown to all of us possibly even to him uh we had uh, the burbs unleashed upon us and uh mike would you care to give a synopsis of the 1989 comedy classic the burbs sure um tom hanks is a working class guy living in the suburbs and he is uh taking a much needed vacation He's, his life is very stressful and instead of uh going away to the, his you know summer home or whatever for the weekend he decides that he just wants to stay at home and his wife played by Carrie Fisher is is not very uh supportive of this because you know she feels like the suburbs themselves are rather stressful because there's a lot of crazy neighbors and whatnot, like mm-hmm. Bruce Dern and uh, Corey Feldman. Yes, and, it's and, important not to mix up your Corys. No, yes, I, I always get confused. And, <laughs> and the guy who uh, who shut down the grid at Nakatomi Plaza <laughs> on Christmas yes. Eve, 1988. <laughs> Which plays into this in a strange way later. It does, yeah. He, he was much better at it in <laughs> <laughs> and Die Hard, though, a, a yes, year prior. True. Um, Very true. But, uh, yeah, you know, the, the that group of neighbors, that group of friends, are rather suspicious of some new neighbors that have moved on the block. And The, the Klepniks, right? Uh, yeah, Is I, that I, it? I, forget, I forget exactly. Klepnik. It, it, yeah. it, was, it sounds like that. Co- yeah. Kep- Koper- whatever. Yeah, whatever. And uh, they're, they're, they decide to take it upon themselves to investigate these new neighbors and see what shenanigans they may be up to. And hijinks ensue. Hijinks do ensue because the, the very beginning of the, the movie is Tom Hanks being awoken in the night by strange lights and sounds coming out of the basement of where these new neighbors have moved in. Uh, mm-hmm. So the, very, the point of attack for the script is they have already moved in but nobody knows them. And it's yeah. the one house on the block that, and there's a house on every block like this where the lawn isn't well kept and the trees may be a little bit dead and they didn't paint the, you know, the, the porch or anything like that. And, you know, so it's, it's sort of the, the, the house that in terms of assisting property value, isn't, isn't the bright shining star. Yeah. But he, you know, he wakes up and he goes down and he's resistant to the idea. 
Now, uh, b- before we go deeper into it, this is in fact, if I recall correctly, a, a reteaming of Hanks and Fisher because they did work on The Man with One Red Shoe before this. Huh. And uh, so, you know, this is sort of like a recapturing the magic. I don't know. The Man with One Red Shoe was not a, an incredibly memorable movie. There's no, maybe one that. scene that I remember up to this day where they wired his apartment wrong. And so there's an ambulance driving down the street where the surveillance equipment is and the ambulance is driving down the street and you hear a toilet flushing coming out of the ambulance. It's very funny. I okay. Guess. All yeah. right. Well, that's, but anyway, yeah, but anyway, uh, so, you know, so the, the burbs, you know, there, there's the, there's his friend, best friend, neighbor, best neighbor. I don't know who, you know, like you said, he, he was responsible for shutting down the grid in, at Nakatomi Plaza, but he's, um, He's trying to uh, to shoot wildlife that is annoying him. He almost shoots Tom Hanks in the beginning of the movie. Almost yeah. kills him. Uh, but, uh, yeah, okay. This movie deals with all of these things about the perception of life in the suburbs, trusting new and different people, you know, tolerance, if you will. Um, the zany teenage kid, uh, pre-internet, of course, who's blasting hard rock music on his stereo while he's painting his porch. Uh, the older veteran who has married the hot young wife who is the object of lust of all of the younger men on the block. So it, it, it's trying to deal with all of these things. I, I mean, I saw this in the movie theater and I remember seeing it with my brother and thinking, eh, you know, like maybe a couple of chuckles. This time it got a couple of smiles <laughs> I was not I was not overly fond of it this time. I found it actually at points to be mean-spirited and confused about its direction, whether it wanted to be a parody, a commentary, a horror movie, or just a straight comedy. Like mm-hmm. I, I feel like I couldn't make up its mind. Yeah. What was your reaction to it? Uh yeah, this was my first time seeing it. I do remember when it came out, you know, I was I was uh, just a kid at the time, but I I I remember it being kind of a big deal and um I didn't realize that it was directed by Joe Dante and you know, I mean that's kind of a you know, that kind of piqued my interest in in a lot of ways. Um and seeing it, I mean, I guess I kind of admire it for what it is. Um, but I admire it more than I like it, I think, you know, I mean, okay. there, there were, there were certainly things in there, which, which amused me. And I think I, I'm, I'm a bigger fan of the concept than I am of, of the movie itself. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. the idea of sort of, you know, making a comedy, you know, which, you know, kind of, you know, is a satire of suburban life and, and, you know, hits on all of those, those, uh, cliches and everything. I mean, there's definitely something to that, you know, and I think that uh, as far as like the story arc is concerned and everything, it works pretty well. There are some some moments which are definitely funny and there are some uh, good performances and and that sort of thing. I think the style is is kind of cool. You know, it's kind of uh, edgy and, and, uh, you know, visually striking for a for for your typical you know comedy you know that kind of thing mm-hmm. but uh, on the whole i mean it did not blow me away I, I i do not have this overwhelming desire to go back and revisit the burbs anytime soon you know that sort yeah. of thing you know well uh, there, there were two things that jumped out at me this time one mm-hmm. was there's a scene um 
we'll call it an act break, I guess, where they finally decide to go over and they're they're it's nighttime and their their curiosity is really piqued by you know what's going on at the house. And Corey Feldman is there with his girlfriend, and it was so obvious to me that this was an insert that they shot later because they wanted to either accelerate the plot or explain what the hell was going on. Yeah. Because he interact they interact with nobody else. It actually looks lit a little bit differently. And he the whole point of him being there is he serves as this narrator to explain all of this stuff that has happened since the last scene that they didn't bother to show you. And yeah. he explains everybody's relationship and their perception of the new neighbors and why they're like he just basically states all of their motivations for everything. Mm hmm. And also so he can set up the later line, man, I love this block because there's nothing about it up to this point for anybody to love this block because no, like nothing interesting has happened up to that point. You know, that there's nothing for somebody to be like, oh, this is the greatest place to live. This is so crazy. Nothing really. I mean, the neighbor trying to shoot the, you know, the 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 pest in the backyard. OK, but there's nothing that's really, I don't know, a. Uh, you know, where I would say, oh, a kid would be think this was electric or anything. But then at the end, it does something that drives me nuts with these sorts of movies where the the whole moral of the story is don't judge those who are different than you. Be accepting. Understand that your way of life is not the only one. And even if you don't agree with it, you got to get along with it because they're there on your block and we're all in this together and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Good moral to give. You know, that, that I think everybody can agree with. But then, spoilers, they wind up being the bad guys after all. And it reminds me of, they made fun of this on South Park with their 24 spoof, where Cartman's racism winds up helping them actually find a terrorist. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, but racism is bad. And Cartman says, yeah, but my racism got the bad guy after all. So it's okay. And it's like... That seems to be what happens with this movie, where it's like, trust and believe your neighbors because they're people too. Oh, but by the way, they're totally what you thought they were. Yeah, no, that's true. And I definitely had the same thought, you know, but I, I, I don't know. Like, it's it's a weird thing where you go into a movie like this, you're expecting some sort of weird supernatural element or something, you know, just mm -hmm. because of the way everything is presented. And... You know, if they left it with no explanation, that wouldn't have been at all satisfying. It, you know, I could, I mean, what they should have done was come up with an explanation for things like why they're digging, you know, graves right. or whatever it is in the backyard or whatever. And they never really did that. I kind of thought they were going to do that at one point, but it never actually happened. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that was kind of disappointing. But, you know, it, it is one of those things where, I think there's so much effort which is like put to that, put to that that sort of thing that you almost have to have the protagonists win in a sense, you know, quote unquote win. Right. And it's it's hard to do that with that that message, you know, because obviously it sort of goes against it, you know. Sure. And I don't know. Uh, I, maybe there would have been a way for them to sort of like hit the point home even though these guys ended up being you know the bad guys <laughs> you know uh like after after that reveal that they kind of missed like maybe there was a beat there that they could have they could have hit that they met that they missed but yeah i definitely see what you're saying you know 
Well, I, you know, I almost wonder if this was something, I mean, you know, speculation is everything and there are certain things you do know, you don't know that are just, you know, supposing, but given how we know reshoots can happen and reshapings can happen, just happened very famously recently with Rogue One where they, they sat down and they said, okay, we're, we're going to hammer this out into a different thing than what it is right now and, you know, make it what we want it to be. I, I would say that probably this movie, Joe Dante, had like a straight up just horror movie where the neighbor, there was no message of be tolerant of your neighbors. And it really does feel tacked on in the sense of, you know, they, they didn't think that it worked. And they didn't they didn't get the comedy that they wanted, so they in, they had him go back and insert things, or they inserted things that they they thought would make it work better as a comedy, whereas he was doing a darkly comic horror movie. I, I see what you're saying, but at the same time, just the way the entire character is constructed, the entire movie is constructed, like it feels like it's leading to that point. It feels like it's leading to that message. And to like go all that way and not have that at the end seems I, I mean I, I, I don't I just I don't know what they would have then instead, you know. It Maybe feels, that was part if, of the problem. It feels so integrated with the mo- with the rest of the movie that mm. I really just feel like I mean they were trying to like have their cake and eat it too in a sense you know what I mean? Okay, I, I mean I I think that they were like this is a good message and people will take this message away, but at the same time we can still say that you know they were right, you know they did stop the, these these bad guys after all. Well, while, while I'm sitting here stomping on it. Uh, is there anything that jumped out at you as particularly successful? I mean, you, you said earlier that you, you know, you admire what they were doing more than you actually liked the movie. What is it that that worked? What is it that looked like something where you you looked at it, you said, okay, you know, all things considered, this this went pretty well. I mean, I liked the satire. You know, I liked the sort of. Um you know, takedown of the suburbs in a sense, but in a loving way. I mean, like, you know, you were talking about the Corey Feldman thing earlier and how there's, there's you know, nothing going on on that block, which, which would suggest that he'd be like, I love this block, you know. And I mean, sure, we just saw a house blow up and, you know, that could definitely, you know, impress a, a teenager. But sure. I think I think it goes beyond that. Like, I think he had that love for it before the, the, the fireworks, literally. And I think kind of what they were trying to get at was like, the suburbs are a crazy place. They it, they definitely have their quirks, you know. You've got all these neighbors, all these people who you're kind of like forced to live with. Because I mean, it's not like they're just saying like, oh, these neighbors who are very strange and keep to themselves are, you know, the only ones that are, you know, sort of like a nuisance. You know, I mean, all of his quote unquote friends are, you know, people who he's just as annoyed by as, you know, the people who he thinks are are murdering, you know, his neighbors. You, you yeah, know what okay. I mean? Okay. And, I mean, I think that's how a lot of people feel about 
their suburban neighborhoods. You know, I mean, it's it's sort of like uh, a thing where you, you you know you feel like you're 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 stuck in that in that sort of like quote unquote mm. perfect, you know, little little society or whatever, which is kind of outside of the real world, and you know, I mean, that's that's sort of I think what they were trying to to get at with this is like. Yeah, you know, suburbs are weird. They have their quirks, but at the same time, you know, there's actually a lot to be said for them. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, he does have good relationships with these people, which he wouldn't have maybe in, you know, like a, a bustling city or something like that. And uh, you know, I, I kind of appreciate all that, and um, I think that that's kind of what they were trying to say with like the Feldman character, where he's like, I like this. I like hanging out with these guys, you know, these weird mm-hmm. random guys who normally I would never talk to, you know, and and stuff like that. So, I mean, that kind, and that seems to be something that Dante is kind of um obsessed with if you look at his other movies, you know, whether it's well, The Twilight Zone, which we talked about yeah. on uh, uh stage 9 or whether it's um, gremlins or small soldiers in particular, you know, there's always that sort of like suburban warfare setting, you know, and um, I, I there, there's something about that which is very comical, you know, and um, very sort of like lovingly, you know, jabbing at 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 this thing, and uh, I I think that this movie is kind of like that, like at its most straightforward and mm, while okay. maybe something being tremendously straightforward is not necessarily a good thing i, I do think that you know it's um it, it can it can hit certain points home you know better than than broader stories which just incorporate those sort of elements if that okay. makes any sense yeah i mean for me i I actually, and I'm not just saying this just because this is, you know, great shot kid and, and we love Star Wars creators, but I thought that Fisher was a high point. Mm-hmm. I thought that she was really good as, you know, the the the, the straight man, the, the grounded character who, you know, provided sort of a, a, a sanity check for Hanks's character. You yeah. can see her as, you know, the, the, the true north to his character because when she's away... You see what happens when he is left to his devices with his insane neighbors. You know that she is the she's the one that that steers the ship in, in a typical circumstance. I thought that there were specifically some funny moments, largely due to Hanks, like when they finally visit the the strange neighbors, and they have what it was like sardines on crackers or something yeah. like that. And which, Hanks is, which to me was was very funny because, like, in my you know sort of like suburban you know childhood or whatever, you know, we would always go over to um, my dad's friend's house. My dad and and this this other guy, they were priests together, and they both left the priesthood and started families, and so our, our families were like really close, and we'd always go over to their house for pizza, and their mm-hmm. dad would always like bring out sardines to put on his pizza and everyone else would be like, you are freaking insane. What are you doing? Why are you, are you, what is that? And he'd always be like, you guys want some? And we'd be like, hell no, we don't want some. Are you crazy? So when I saw that, I was like, oh, hey, (laughs) that's, that's like something from my childhood, you know, my (laughs) suburban upbringing, you know? Yeah, fair enough. enough. (laughs) See, I, I guess I, I guess I live, 
you know, presently with the fear that I'm the crazy neighbor. Yeah. Because I think I think that everybody else is pretty pretty locked down and, and pretty happy with their suburban life and I'm the I'm the one that may, may I might be the little un, imbalanced one that you know yeah. encourages you know stupidity. No, but I think I think Dante would probably share your perspective. You know, I think that's why he made this movie. Because like none of the other characters seem to be like the suburbs man, they're crazy. You know, it's just Hanks's character who's like that, you know? Yeah. So okay. I, I think I think that you're Hanks. I think we're all Hanks in this scenario, but I think Dante is definitely Hanks. <laughs> we're you know all, what I mean? We're all Hanks. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I'll take it. Can I get a couple of Oscars too? Sure, why not? I think I deserve them. <laughs> I, I I definitely think that I deserve them. I yeah. you know, I, there there are just so many pieces to this that I think there are just it it really does come across to me watching it that it's just assembled by I don't know. I I don't I don't detect like if I look at Gremlins, I think I can see Dante at work. I can see a strong hand there. Somebody saying this is the movie I'm going to make and this is the way it's going to go. And I look at the darkness in Gremlins, really unsettling darkness, and then I come over to the Burbs and I see a hint of that darkness, but I see it suppressed. I see it shaped, I see it hammered out, I see it cut. And that's just what comes across to me in this is that I, I see a director who is, who has more constraints placed on him and more people double checking his, his math. It, it is kind of weird because it, it almost feels like while gremlins was obviously a huge hit, like yeah. I, I, I mean, I, and I wasn't there. Right. But I, I mean, I, I feel like gremlins was kind of a surprise hit, you know, I and definitely then, think gremlins was a surprise hit. I, I, then, I do. It came out of nowhere. Right. And then when it hit, you know, people are like, oh, yeah, Joe Dante, you're hot, you know, make the burbs. And then it became sort of like the almost like commercial. I mean, I don't know. There's a thing that I I see this with directors all the time where it's just like, wow, that's a weird thing where like there's a genre filmmaker or something like that who makes a movie. And then like, you know, he he makes something else which is, you know, sort of like prestigious. And it's like, you know, I mean, the examples that come to mind are like Sam Raimi directing A Simple Plan or, uh, mm-hmm. um, you know, I mean, I guess Roger Vadim did a lot of prestigious movies, but he, you know, I know him from Barbarella, you know, you know what? So right. like when I see like a, a Roger Vadim movie as part of the Criterion Collection or something like that, I'm like, wait a minute. Or like when, you know, my my parents are saying like I want to see that new movie Simple Plan. I'm like by the guy who did Army of Darkness. Okay, yeah, you know that that sort of thing. And that's kind of how I feel like the Burbs is. You know, it's hmm. the it's the the more it's like trying to to capture that that craziness and sort of bottle it up for the mainstream, and hmm. it doesn't really work as well like you're saying. You know, though, I would say, though, it came out in 89, and I would say that you have an example here of Dante not fitting the mold, but in 89, you have a an offbeat genre director who has a tremendous hit with Batman. Yeah. So I think that I think that you see I think that the Burbs is instructive in the sense that you have the star power, mm-hmm. you have the studio backing, you have the hot, quirky director, you have a glimpse of 
not literally, of course, but you have a glimpse of how Batman could have gone for Warner Brothers, of yeah. somebody not quite fitting in right and not quite hitting the mark. I mean, obviously with Batman, Burton did, but I, I, I think that I think that you know what I would I would actually say because we're obsessed with double features and stuff like that. I would show the Burbs and Batman just mm-hmm. as a lesson in when it goes wrong and when it goes right. Yeah, I think that, that could would be, be I think that would be a neat one. You know, I, I seem to remember hearing this, although I could be wrong, but I would be shocked if Dante was not one of the names being tossed around to direct Batman, right? Uh that sure. He, that he would make sense. He must have yeah. been, right? I mean, it would be interesting to see what a Dante about, Batman if, for Pete's sake, they were talking about Rutger. They, I remember them talking about casting Rutger Hauer as Batman. What? Yeah. Okay. I, please, Rutger Hauer. People don't remember. Rutger Hauer's name was tossed around for almost every project for like a 10-year span after Blade Runner. That's so Even weird. for things where it made no sense. They were like, oh, well, we were considering Rutger Hauer. Have you? Really? Really? Have you watched Rutger Hauer's work? Like... He doesn't seem like a good fit for this because, yeah. um, they, you know, Rutger Hauer, of course, most famously was uh, Anne Rice said, oh, I always pictured Rutger Hauer as, as the vampire Lestat. That's weird. And yeah. You, you, oh, yeah. No, she actually she always said that's what she pictured. And um, that's why she was so upset when Cruz was cast instead as Lestat. OK, well, that's cool. Yeah, I right? guess. I don't know. I prefer my Rutger Hauer in Batman Begins, you know, so. Yes, I think he was, I you know, gosh, I almost wonder if casting him in Batman Begins was a nod to that. But I remember very specifically that because people were obsessed with the casting of Keaton. Yeah. I mean, my gosh, there's another similarity right there where you have Burton casting Keaton as Batman and you have Hanks in the Burbs. I mean, granted, they're different movies and everything, but wow, what a double feature this really would make. Yeah. Huh. We need to do this. We need to start yeah. a movie festival with a quirky double feature like this. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Spe- speaking yeah. of double features, just a little Joe Dante story, which I might have told once before, but uh, they were doing like a Joe Dante festival. Th- I don't know what it was at the Music Box here in Chicago at one point, and they were showing like was it like matinee and uh, and Gremlins two or something like that. And my friend went to this, and he was sitting like pretty close to the front. And it was a pretty empty theater. And like 15, 20 minutes into the movie, some guy, into Gremlins, I think, Gremlins 2, some guy comes in, sits right in front of him, mm-hmm. and then just, just like obnoxiously laughing throughout the entire movie. And my friend is like, God, you know, there's always that one guy, you know? There's yeah. always that one guy. So the movie ends... And they're like, okay, and now we're going to do a Q&A. Let's introduce Joe Dante. And the guy stands up and gets up on stage. <laughs> it was Joe Dante That's who awesome. came in 15 minutes late to his own movie and just could not stop laughing at it. <laughs> well, at least you movie. know that so. when he put it together that he loved it. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, But, of course, every time I hear mention of Gremlins too, um, I was one of the 50 people who saw that movie. Yeah. So. Yeah, that I was, still uh, I still oof. haven't seen it myself. Really? Yeah. I've well, I'll tell it. you the part where the film breaks and Hulk Hogan is in the audience yelling at the gremlins in the projector booth. Yeah, I'm sure it works really well on home video. No, well, I'm they sure changed. that that translates. 
What? They, they, changed, they it? changed it? Well, I mean, I think on the DVD and everything, and now it's as it was in the theater. But when yeah. it first came up out on VHS, they had an alternate version, which made it look like your VCR was breaking. Ah, uh, see, the thing is, I will say that even though I was a young lad when Gremlins 2 came out, I had enough self-respect never to watch it again <laughs> until many years later when I was an adult. And I said, eh, you know, whatever. It's on TV. Oh, wow. This is really as bad as I remember. I'm sure I'm sure the VHS thing opening is it's got to be on YouTube now, right? It's got to be. Uh, it's got to be a, a I'm sure that when the Blu-ray comes out. <sighs> The Blu-ray comes out. See, Gremlins 2 is going to be one of those movies that comes out on Blu-ray where I'm like, that one? That one is going to get the blue. That's going to get. We're going to get. You know what? If we got 4K of Phantasm thanks to Abrams, I'm sure there's a 4K of Gremlins 2 on the way. You know I'm what? I'm sure of it. You know what? Dante movies should have a 4K version coming out. What's that? Small Soldiers. I have actually never seen it. That's, to me, like that was, like I think, the first one that I saw. And everyone, you know, at the time was like, it's like Gremlins 3, you know? And I'm like, I don't know what that means because I haven't seen Gremlins 1 and 2. But uh, I can tell you, Small Soldiers is great. Let me just tell you, this is this is how much... I mean, I, I don't know if you know the basic premise, but, like, there's, like... Yeah. It, like, uh, David Cross, I think it is, is, like, a, a toy manufacturer who creates these toys, and basically they become sentient, right? And, like, he he's trying to do this thing, but they they ch- change change his, his vision, and basically they have, like, soldiers and monsters, right? And okay. the two of them, like, gain sentience or whatever, and they're, like, robotic kind of things. And this kid, like, gets them somehow, all of them, the only ones. And basically these two sides decide to go to war with each other. Okay. So they're basically fighting a battle, but this kid's suburban house is the battleground, you know? Okay. And hijinks ensue, right? But here's the thing. I mean, that, that premise is solid enough on its own, right? The soldier, there's the soldiers and the monsters, and the monsters are like the good guys. They're gentle, peaceful monsters, you know? Yeah. Okay, so the voices of the soldiers, and they did not advertise this at all. They didn't do any, you know, they just, they just did it, you know? Voices yeah. of the soldiers are the Dirty Dozen. And the what? voice, yes, no, <laughs> and and For the real, voice, yes. Okay, and, see, I'm sold. I gotta see this now. Okay, but then the voices of the monsters, yeah, Spinal Tap, no, yes, no. For real, <laughs> yes. Okay. See, the thing is, in one fell swoop, you sold it to me, and the whole time you were describing that, the only thought in my head was, this is yet another instance of what us watching a movie where we're talking about anything but the movie <laughs> because. We, you know, I look, it's for the Burbs is for free on Amazon Prime as we record this. Mm-hmm. I encourage you to watch it for free. Anybody listening to the sound of our voices, watch it for free because you will not want to pay for it. Because if you pay for it, you will be angry. You will be disappointed or maybe not. And if you're not, uh, we go ahead and invite you to go on over to the nerdparty.com slash contact Look up Great Shot Kid. Go ahead and tell us that we're wrong here. That The Burbs is, in fact, a a classic of American cinema uh, cinema com- comedy. And, you know, we're, we're way off base here. We're not. But, you know, go ahead and tell us that. That's fine. Uh, you can also find us 
over on Facebook at facebook.com slash the nerd party. You can find us on Twitter at join nerd party. You can find us as the nerd party over on Instagram. And uh, you can go ahead and you can find us on iTunes, actually, uh, where we just recently got a couple of new reviews, both five stars, which we very much appreciate. And um, Mike, uh, those reviews, uh, one of them comes from uh, MC Cash 33, McCash 33. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Uh, And that, that one says that's one in a million. And um, that says, uh, Mike and John bring an excellent and extremely knowledgeable look at the creations of the people behind the magic of Star Wars. The show is at its best when diving into the minutia of their chosen subjects, something they do with a perspective and knowledge base that makes them endlessly entertaining, especially when Mike is expressing subdued rage at films being shown in the improper aspect ratio. (laughs) That's a factual thing. Or frame rate. It's not subdued, though. (laughs) That's true. Uh, Well... Okay, or he's gushing about some obscure film being, quote, the best thing ever, end quote. Now, the thing is, I will say that it's subdued in the sense that you are uh, like Spock in that you can calmly break down everything that's wrong with something without setting fire to it the way Kirk would. So, you know, that's what I think they mean by subdued. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. So uh, do you want to read the uh, the other? We've got another five star review. Yeah, it's from MSU Go State. Is that is that would that be Mississippi State? Uh no, I'm uh MSU is going to be Michigan State University. As oh, the a Spartans. Maryland okay. boy who's now in the Big Ten, that's what MSU is. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. This show is crazy good with how in-depth they get for their analysis. It's so interesting to hear their perspectives, especially when they disagree. It's like a modern-day Siskel and Ebert, where you can agree with whoever is talking, and then the other can change your mind. But about stuff that has to do with Star War- what Star Wars people did. Great concept. Well, thank you, MSU Go State. Uh, go, go Spartans. Hey, there you go. Go Spartans. Yeah. You, you knew the mascot. That's excellent. Yeah, you know, I'm 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 in the Big Ten. I'm I'm in the I'm in you know Chicago. Oh, okay. It's a Big Ten uh, city. Yeah, uh, you know that's. Um, I can say at the very least, as somebody who was in the ACC who got switched into the Big Ten, uh, I enjoy Tom Izzo beating me now instead of Coach K. So you know, yeah, I have no idea who Tom Izzo is, but that's okay. The coach over at uh, he's the Spartans basketball coach. Oh, well, there you go then. Great yeah. guy, class act, and legendary coach. Actually, seriously, he's, he's a lot of respect for him. A lot of respect for him. But cool. uh, and you obviously have, uh, you know, maybe we'll give Tom Izzo thanks for for this, you know, fan who wrote such a great review of Great Shot Kid. So if you feel inspired to go on over to Great Shot Kid and give us a review, you can just go on over and find us on iTunes and give us a review. Uh, Mike, where can people find you online? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Mumbles3K, and you can also find me on a new show on the TalkFilmSociety.com called Soderbergh 2828, where we're talking about all 28 Steven Soderbergh films leading up to the release of Logan Lucky. And you can find me on CommentaryTrackStars.com, uh, where this week uh, we just released an episode celebrating the uh, 20th anniversary of the Return of the Jedi s- Special Edition, mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. which we go through every change made to the movie, 
for that mm-hmm. that 1997 release and mm-hmm. discuss whether or not it was a positive or a negative. And uh, so check that out for sure on CommentaryTrackStars.com. And then you can also find me on Trek.fm doing Stage 9, which is a show very similar to this one, except that we're talking about Star Trek creators instead of Star Wars creators. And uh, my co-host for that show is John. Ah, he sounds like a a charming fellow. Yes, Stage 9 is a... uh... It's a wonderful exploration of the work of Star Trek creators. We have a lot of fun with it over there. And uh, we, we invite you to, you know, if you like this show, you will like Stage 9. That, yeah. is, that is pretty much a lock. I, I can guarantee you for that. Uh, right here on the network, you can also find me co-hosting Aggressive Negotiations with Matt Rushing, which has a Star Wars focus, but we are looking at uh, weirder aspects of the Star Wars universe. As a matter of fact, just this week, I guess it's not weird, but just this week we uh, looked at, at the collective fan obsession with Star Wars toys and our own memories and tragedies having to do with collecting over the years. It's a fun episode. Uh, you can find me co-hosting Words with Nerds with my pal Craig. It's a free-form show. We don't really have a locked topic, and sometimes we uh, drink alcohol to excess and have some fun. Nice. And, uh, yeah, it's it's silly. It's silly stuff. And you can find me as Kessel Junkie uh, and... That, you know, right now I'm taking a hiatus from Twitter, but I'm usually over there. But uh, I'm taking a hiatus right now. Uh, You can also find me as Kessel Junkie on Instagram. Seriously, if you look for Kessel Junkie, that's me. And you'll be able to find me on pretty much anything. So uh, with that, we uh, thank you for joining us this week. And one one last thing for people who who might want to uh, to see Small Soldiers, it is available on Netflix. So check it out. Oh, excellent. And the thing is, that ties into our last show. Because we watched In the Land of Women, uh, which was John Kasdan's movie. Mike watched it for free. And your dense, bald co-host right here watched it for 99 cents, which angered him. Well, So there you go. What can you do? (laughs) You got to support starving artists like John Kasdan. Yes. Yes. It seems that uh, they probably didn't pay him much from the Disney coffers for the upcoming Han Solo movie. For which he will make profit points. No, not at all. He's struggling. <laughs> yeah, you know, struggling. I mean, I'm sure he did it, you know, like on spec, and then they're like, eh, whatever, we'll see. Yeah, maybe we'll give you something. I don't know. Yeah, they they they, they let him eat at the uh, food cart on 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 set. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, with that, uh, thank you for joining us this week, and uh, join us next week when we are going to do another one of our triple features, where we are going to look at the first works of the directors of the episode sequel trilogy. So we will be looking at the first films of J.J. Abrams, Ryan Johnson, and Colin Trevorrow. So that's going to be Mission Impossible 3, Brick, and Safety Not Guaranteed. 